All right, we are in a week two of our Happily Even After series on marriage. And I, I want to encourage you, and I know many of you have already done this, to just commit to coming to all four weeks of this. Uh, this is not a quick fix, right? It's not a short process. Uh, I want to actually re-enter the topic right where we left off uh, last week. Uh, we left off last week with the third reason why people feel disappointed in marriage, and that was they end up believing that the real problem is not them, but their spouse. And we talked about how that ends up being the great stalemate to marriage because nothing is ever going to change unless one person starts to say, I'm going to serve them like Christ served me. The challenge is, though, to get started in that process is there seems to us to be no shortage of material for why your spouse actually needs to get to work on changing their stuff. Am I right? See, this is kind of what naturally happens in any marriage. Like when you're dating, right, your future spouse, it's, it's relatively easy to just put your best foot forward in dating, right? You know, you just kind of come looking nice every time and everything just, I don't know, it's just kind of how dating works. But in marriage, you can't keep up the act, right? Your spouse is going to get to know who you truly are. Like that same guy who seemed so handsome and so romantic when you were dating, now could benefit from showering once in a while, uh, maybe putting the seat down, right? It's hard to hide who you truly are when you share the same bed. Now, my wife, after almost 15 years of marriage, knows me so well that she can tell if something's wrong with me just by the way I'm lying in the bed at night. Like, for example, if I'm not moving all that much or my breathing even is a little bit different, she can say, what's wrong? And I, I swear to you, I'm not, like, lying there going, <sighs> right? it's like, there's no tip-off or anything. You know, some of you do that. I know that, right? But she just is so nuanced, and you get to know each other so well. In marriage, you can't hide your feelings. You can't hide your faults. You can't hide much of anything. I, was, I heard somebody say the other day that the next time you go to a wedding, write in their card, write, congratulations, and then write, here's to helping you discover what you're really like. That's kind of what marriage is. Marriage is the great revealer. For many people, it's the main way in which God is going to reveal your heart, your sinful heart, to you. But we can flip that positively, right? And so marriage actually is this incredible opportunity for you to grow in Christ. Except there's kind of a big problem here. We aren't so interested in looking at our weaknesses. But there is something else that we're incredibly interested in, and that's our spouse's weaknesses. You see, one of the ways, one of the best ways to improve your marriage is to pick up a mirror and drop the magnifying glass. I think, unfortunately, for a lot of us, when the tension comes, when arguments come, many of us, we just opt to pick up the magnifying glass instead, and we just start zooming in on the other person's faults. But we're not just looking, we're looking at them through the magnifying glass. And we see them, we believe, in detail, and we believe that not only do we see them, that they are enormous. And so then we feel that it is our duty 
to share our scientific findings about their inadequacies. And so we do. But before you do, uh, let me share with you something that you can learn, uh, perhaps the only thing you can learn from reality television. Okay, uh, you ever watched some reality show, especially if it has like a married couple on it, and they're arguing with each other back and forth, right? Maybe it gets kind of nasty. And as the viewer, you start talking to the TV, which I want to let you know, they can't hear you, actually. Uh-huh. <laughs> we just continue, right? And, and maybe, maybe, it's some, you know, maybe the wife is yelling at the husband for not taking out the trash, and she's just going crazy. And you're watching this, and you're going, chill out. Oh, just chill out. All he did was forget to take out the trash, right? Or the husband is yelling back at the wife about something she screwed up, and you're just going, whoa, 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 buddy, just chill out. Like, have some patience here. Well, what, what's, what's happening? Well, what's happening is you, as the viewer, you have perspective, right? You have a neutral perspective of both parties. And yet we typically fail to apply any sort of perspective or patience when it comes to the marriage relationship, right? So conflict begins. You can have some sort of conflict in your marriage. I don't know, maybe daily, probably at least weekly, right? Where conflict happens, you feel like the tension in your heart and your mind, and we don't like that feeling. And so rather than allow that sort of natural tension of marriage to serve as a mirror to us so we can grow and grow in Christ, instead, we attempt to eliminate the tension by pulling out a magnifying glass and holding it right up to our spouse's issues. Our idea is this. Our idea is, here's what's going on in our mind. We think, okay, I will just explain to them how if they just merely fixed A, B, C, D, E, F, and G, then then they would hear that and they're going to respond to me because this is what you're thinking. If you didn't think you were going to get results, you wouldn't say it, right? Thinking, I'm going to tell them A, B, C, D, E, F, and, and G, and then, of course, they're going to hear me and they're going to go, yes, absolutely. Thank you. That was the most incredibly accurate assessment of my weaknesses, and I will commence immediately getting to work on those things. I just want to thank you for pointing them out. Now, if there's anyone in this room that that has effectively worked for, could you just stand so we could honor you as the only person in the universe to pull off this strategy? Now, we laugh, right? Because you just go like, oh, it's ridiculous. And yet, tell me another thing that we're doing in life that we know has such a low effectiveness rate, and yet we continue to try it weekly. I mean, it's kind of crazy. Now, I'm not, I'm not saying today that every time an argument begins that you just need to say, hey, honey, time out. I'm just going to pause. I'm going to look in the mirror, and I will come back and tell you why 100% of this is my fault. Now, I'm, not, I'm not saying that, but I'm saying that the truth is the majority of the issues that you're going to face in marriage are not problems to fix, but tensions to manage. Tensions that we need to learn how to live in. Uh, these are things like, you know, they, I'm just looking at them, they don't clean up enough. Right? They don't appreciate me with their words enough. And they don't communicate their thoughts like I want them to. They're asking me to communicate my thoughts too much. I'll just tell you, 
You didn't marry the perfect person. There's no such thing. There are going to be incompatibilities between your personalities. You know, something like 75% of the conflict that we face in marriage come from the smaller things, right? The incompatibilities of your personalities that just generally irritate you. Like, you're a hard worker. They are not as driven. <laughs> you are... And don't call them lazy. That's not going to work for you. you. You are an extrovert. They are an introvert. You like things to be really planned. They like to just go with the flow and on and on. And I just want to tell you, holding a magnifying glass to those issues, which is where like, most of our arguments come from, probably isn't going to solve any of them. A huge portion of them you're actually never going to fix. Holding the magnifying glass up to the internal processor, right? And just saying, no, just tell me, would you just, you never tell me what you think right away. That's not, I mean, you could say that a million times, but that's just not how God wired them. But if you keep bothering that spouse of yours that is just like not touchy-feely, right, you're not going to say it to them 25 times, and on the 26th time, they're just going to start daily looking at you and say, baby, let's just cuddle tonight. And every night hereafter. No, they're, they're, they're probably just going to continue to say, I'm trying to sleep, don't touch me. Right? <laughs> Some of your spouses like that. Like, no matter how much you keep pretending that your magnifying glass is a magic wand that's going to change them into the perfect person, it's probably just never going to happen. Now, let me just say as a, as a quick aside, there are some serious things that come up in marriage that you just need to confront head on. Alcoholism, uh, pornography, uh, major uh, anger issues, maybe there's just major finance issues. Right? These are the other 25% of the problems that we face in marriage. And for those, the process is a little bit different than drop the magnifying glass, pick up the mirror. So next week I want you to come back because we're going to hit heavy strategies for conflict and communication and we'll spend a little bit of time talking through how to handle the bigger issues too, the other 25%. But for the 75% of the just irritations and weekly arguments and conflict we face, we need a different strategy. We need a biblical strategy. I mean, are you up for trying something different? The magnifying glass is not how love is supposed to work. I just actually want to show you that scripturally this morning. Last week, we just very briefly, maybe for five seconds, referenced the Apostle Paul's take on love. And I actually want to break down his thoughts on this uh, this week. I think people are used to hearing his famous words at weddings and such, but I don't know if we actually extrapolate and apply their meaning all that often. And so I want to do that, particularly in the context of marriage this morning. So uh, if you want to look at the passage, um, there's a Bible under your chair. We're going to be on page 932 in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Uh, Or you can use your Renovation Church app. I just have Bible and weekly verses. So we're going to take a look at his section of actually just two verses because I think it just really applies to these sort of arguments that so many of us have. So this is chapter 13, uh, verses 4 and 5. Paul writes, love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not 
dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Now, there are a number of things that just sort of jumped out at me uh, when I studied this list. And one of the things that I did when I was studying this week is this really helped me better understand uh, what Paul was talking about when he's talking about love, is I wrote all of his words down for love in list form, and then in the next column, I contrasted them with their antonym, with the opposite word. Now, I'll show you what this looks like. So let's take a look at this. So up here in the mirror column, you have all the words that Paul describes as love, or in some cases, the opposite of the word that he described as not loving. So Paul says that love is patient, Love is kind. And then he goes, switches to the opposite, and he begins to say, love is not envious. It's not boastful. It's not proud. So then what is it? What is love? Well, love is being content. It's modest. It's humble. But, but look to the magnifying glass column, right? Because these are all the things that just are not love. Now look particularly, if you can see them, to the, to the bolded words on here. Is not the opposite of love so aptly described. This is what really jumped out at me from the text, from the magnifying glass lifestyle. So rather than be loving, patient with their faults, we become impatient, and we just bring it up right away. Rather than be kind in speaking the truth, because sometimes you got to speak the truth, right? We do so, not kindly, but mean-spiritedly, right? Like, you're not just letting them know that they didn't wash the dishes again, you want them to feel that they didn't wash the dishes, right? That's how that's what we do. In a similar way, we are easily, look at the second from the bottom, we are easily angered by their imperfections. I think maybe the, the last one is perhaps the, the most descriptive. Paul says, love keeps no record of wrongs. True love is forgiving. But the magnifying glass is the memorization of wrongs, sometimes with records dealing back decades. We see, that's the opposite of our God in his love, who says this, Hebrews 8, 12. It says, for I will forgive their wickedness and will remember their sins no more. That's who he is. Keep no record of wrongs. I just want to plainly say to you, you will not improve your marriage with the tool of the magnifying glass. It won't work because it's not love. We just saw in that chart, the magnifying glass, in fact, is the opposite of love. And therefore, improving your marriage starts with your ability to drop the magnifying glass and pick up the mirror. I was talking with a, a woman this week uh, about this topic, and she mentioned to me that when she first got married, she, many of you maybe have a similar experience, she, she quickly learned that her husband put his dirty clothes literally in every single area of the house with the exception of the dirty clothes hamper, okay? And she said, right, because you don't, you don't know the stuff when you're dating, right? She said it was incredibly frustrating the first year of our marriage. And so she just continually brought it up to him and brought it up to him. And at first, she tried bringing it up very kindly, right? And when that didn't work, she tried bringing it up not so kindly, right? She reminded him. She guilted him. She said, she said I even threatened that I will not wash any clothes 
that are not in the hamper. But it didn't work, right? Nothing changed his action. And she said, I just, I, I came to realize the truth. So I was talking about our topic for this week. She said, I came to realize the truth of what we're talking about this week. She said, I just realized it was a battle that just wasn't worth fighting. You have any of those? It just wasn't worth fighting. She said, no matter how hard she tried, he just wasn't going to turn into this person that just every evening neatly put his clothes away. It just wasn't who he is. His gifts were in other areas. And so she picked up the mirror instead. And she saw her standard for perfection, right? For how high things are supposed to be. And then she dropped the expectation. She dropped the magnifying glass. And then she said this. I thought this was really good. I've just been thinking about this all week. She said, and you know what? It's actually brought me peace. And it's brought peace to our marriage. She said, I even have peace doing that chore now because I, I now see it as an opportunity to serve him. And now some of you just went, oh, well, he was just taking advantage of her. Then she said something really fascinating, and I, and I want you to hear this too. And she said, I'm, I'm, it's an opportunity to serve him because I'm sure there are a hundred ways that he's doing the same thing for me. And he's going, oh, I can't believe it. It's never gonna. We just go, all right, it's not going to change. I'm going to serve her in that way. I mean, that's what marriage is. But I think there are too many Americans who want to classify their marriage as an impending failure. And they want to do that because the view from the magnifying glass has overwhelmed them by the other person's faults. And they maybe even begin to believe this American lie that says something like, maybe there's somebody else out there who would actually be a better fit for me. But listen, that's not how marriage works. The world likes to tell you that there's this perfect person, some soulmate out there that will perfectly fit with you. But listen, you would feel incompatible with everyone. Author Gary Thomas says it this way, and I just, I just love this. I just wish you could burn this in everyone's heart. He says, a good marriage is not something you find it's something you work for. I'm going to read that again because it's that good. A good marriage is not something you find. Oh, I finally found the perfect fit. Uh-uh. It's something you work for. But to work on it, we need to look in the mirror. The problem is so many of us don't want to look in the mirror. We can't handle the pressure of looking in the mirror. So we keep reaching for the magnifying glass. Well, why? Why can't we... Handle it. I just want to look deeper in the word. Let's go kind of into those two verses. In fact, I'm going to show you the chart again because it's all in there. There's another a clear obstacle. I said bolded different words this time under the magnifying glass, the non-love column. What's the, common, what's the commonality between these words? Boastful. Love is not boastful. Love is not proud. It's not selfish. The commonality is Pride. See, when the tensions arise and marriage isn't going that well, you're having another argument, instead of coming in humility, most of us come shaking the magnifying glass 
in pride. Our self-preservation, I mean, that's that selfish piece up there, is so strong that we can't bear. Our pride won't allow us to look in the mirror, and so we just deflect to the other person's issues. We don't love the mirror. How many of you in this room like looking in an actual mirror? Exactly, right? We don't want to see the truth. But is it the truth? Is the mirror the truth? Yeah. And you can't change until you acknowledge the truth. Uh, Over the last uh, 10 years or so, uh, I've been a a runner. Uh, You know, on my my good seasons, I run maybe 10 to 20 miles a week. But I find some way, basically every year, to injure myself. Uh, Usually it's the same way. Sometimes it's different. And because of that, over the last 10 years, I've watched as my weight has just gone, I'm running, it's great. Oh, let's be this way, it's great, right? And just back and forth and back and forth. But let me tell you something that I've learned about myself. I will never, never weigh myself when I'm not working out. When I'm working out, I'm like, yeah, this is great, right? When I'm not, I'll go months ago. I, I don't want to know. I just don't want to know. I don't want to know the truth. But that's, ridic- that's ridiculous. You know what that is? That's pride. It's fear. You can't grow when you're hiding from the truth. You can't grow your marriage when your pride is causing you to hide behind the magnifying glass so you don't have to look at your own stuff. You know, I do less and less counseling in our church as we've gotten bigger and bigger as a church, and we have more and more people who are much more qualified than I and much better than I in those situations. But I, I got to tell you, over the last decade or so, decade or so I, I've sat in too many meetings with too many couples where the wife eventually just says, you know what? He's crazy. Right? And then the guy without even acknowledging the basis of her claim, just looks back and goes, no, 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 She's crazy. And then I would jump in and I would say, no, 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 You're both crazy. Right? And this is why you don't want me doing your counseling. <laughs> but see, I can't help them. I cannot help them until someone is willing to humble themselves and look in the mirror. I will tell you something. Love cannot show itself through pride. Ever. That's the word of God. Love is not prideful. Love demonstrates itself through humility. Love looks like what Jesus instructed us to do when we were going through Luke of the summer. Do you remember that message if you were here where I I held an enormous plank out of my eye for like a third of the message? What, What did Jesus tell us to do about that? What are we supposed to do as Christ followers? We're supposed to humble ourselves and take the plank out of our own eye first. And if we cannot do that in marriage, it will actually be our pride that will destroy the marriage. Gary Thomas says it this way. He says, behind virtually every case of marital dissatisfaction lies unrepented sin. 
Couples don't fall out of love so much as they fall out of repentance. I will tell you, the biggest risks to the success of your marriage are not, actually, they are not your incompatibilities, they're not your blow-ups, they're not even your big screw-ups. The biggest risks to your marriage are the things that you refuse to work on. God can fix anything else and everything else. So what do you do? Right, because this is going to happen to you probably before you even go to bed tonight, right? If you're married, if you're not married, you prepare for this. And this is, you can apply this to so many relationships, right? It doesn't even have to be marriage. Right, you get back in, another argument's happening, or you're just frustrated over something you've seen, and you feel the tension coming back up, right? One of the things that I want you to start doing, and I want you to use this, every time you feel that, I want you to internally ask yourself the question, which tool am I bringing to this fight? A magnifying glass or a mirror? And I'm going to show you how bringing a mirror changes things. I've been, in my own life, thinking about this stuff nonstop lately, as I've been writing and studying, and this better change me as a husband, right? Otherwise, I'm just a hypocrite standing on the stage. So earlier this week, I got upset at uh, Lindsay about something that I determined was just too messy in our house. Now, in reality, it probably wasn't, right? I've got my own neat freak issues, okay? And we started to argue, and I was starting to feel upset, and then it just hit me, because I've been working on this, it just hit me, David, what, what are you doing? You're bringing a magnifying glass to the issue. I just went right to her, right? Well, how come, and you should have, and this, right to her. That's not love. Love, what did the word say? Doesn't keep record of wrongs. Love is patient. Love is not prideful. It doesn't go right to the other person refusing to look at your own stuff. And so what I should have done is just apologize right there, right when I thought of that. But that was too hard, so I didn't do that. <laughs> but 30 minutes later, I started to look in the proverbial mirror and I came back to her, and I was able to say, Lindsay, listen, I've just been stressed out lately. And I think when I'm stressed, I just, you know, when it comes to our house, I just try and get control of what I can get control of. Thanks for being my therapist for a second, by the way. And so what happens is I think I just get crazy with trying to clean stuff up. And I apologized, right? We hugged. It was great. We moved on. Now, I just gave you an example of myself looking in the mirror and apologizing, uh, but the truth is, in my marriage, uh, my wife is actually five times better at apologizing than I am. Right? I'm, st I'm still working through this pride thing. One of the things that I've learned from her humility is that apologies, I mean, maybe even write this down, apologies are the great disarmer. When one person it usually just takes one. When one person does the hard work, drops the magnifying glass, looks in the mirror, and they come back and they say, I'm sorry. They apologize and they say, and here's why. In my experience, when that happens, then the other person is actually 20 times more likely to then also begin talking about where they screwed up and what their issues were in it as well. 
they are 20, okay, hear this, they're 20 times more likely to start working through the issues than they would have been if you just would have kept the magnifying glass up. Apologies are the great disarmor. The mirror is what causes couples to put their weapons down. But the magnifying glass is just going to cause the other person to put their weapons up. What does the scripture say? The scripture says love is not proud. It is humble. Love drops the magnifying glass. I mean, think about it. Jesus, who is love incarnate, he could have kept the magnifying glass on you. Could he have not? Seeing just how vastly unworthy we are to be in a relationship with him because of our long list of sins. But he dropped the magnifying glass and he picked up a cross instead. He chose to love us. He chose humility over pride. He chose to keep no record of wrongs. See, that's what we're called to do in marriage. Drop the magnifying glass. Sit in front of the mirror and let God grow us into people that look more like him so we can love more like him. Do you believe that he can do that in your marriage? I believe he can do that. Let me pray. Lord, we just pray that you help us just even practically this week as the people of this church live out that tool. God, may we look like you. May we trust in your grace and may we apply it to others. It's in your name we pray. Amen.